0: This is the Troll controller. Why? With Justin.
1: Well, that was it was a fun time. I'm still stunned about Ron Johnson. Given the opportunity to say something admirable about his opponent, took the opportunity to attack his opponent and then said he would unite people. Insane. Insane. Now, the other big story today was the January 6th committee hearing. Apparently, the Secret Service reached out to the Oath Keepers. The founder of the Oath Keepers and other leaders of the Self-Style Militia Organization were in contact with Secret Service officials multiple times in late 2020 and leading up to the attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, 2021. According to an agency official and court testimony in Stuart Rhodes' ongoing seditious conspiracy trial... A former member of the Oath Keepers testified last week that Rhodes, the group's founder, claimed to be in touch with someone in the Secret Service in the months before the riot. The Secret Service official confirmed that members of the agency's Protective Intelligence Division reached out to the Oath Keepers in advance of protests in D.C. in November and December, as well as the January 6th Stop the Steal rally. Agents regularly engage in such advance contact with protest groups expected to attend public presidential events, the official The goal is to explain what items are prohibited and learn more about the protesters' numbers and plans in order to assess the risk to protected officials. Rhodes and four associates are now in the midst of a trial. And I want to know how buddy-buddy they got with them. And hold on, look, incredibly small. You guys can't read along. Rhodes and four associates are now in the midst of a trial expected to last at least a month in which they face the most serious charge of the criminal investigation into the Capitol riot. Jurors have heard evidence that prosecutors say shows the Oath Keepers wanted to keep Donald Trump in power by force. Trial testimony that comes just as the House Committee investigating January 6 prepared for what is expected to be its final public hearing. During that hearing today, we saw a video of Pelosi calling for help and all the agencies she reached out to. Hi,
2: Governor. Uh, this is Nancy. Uh, Governor, I don't know if you have been approached about the uh, Virginia National Guard. Mr. Hoyer was connect, uh, speaking to uh, uh, Governor Hogan, uh, but I still think you probably need the okay of the, uh, the federal government in order to come into another jurisdiction.
1: Thank the you. Of the army. Oh, my gosh.
2: They're just breaking windows. Job. They're doing all. Oh.
1: Schumer is talking about contacting the secretary of the army.
2: No, I it's really that somebody, army. they said somebody was shot. It's just, it's just horrendous. And all at the instigation of the president of the United States. Okay, thank you, governor. I appreciate what you're doing. and If you don't mind, I'd like to stay in touch. Thank you.
1: That was at the time the Democratic governor of Virginia Virginia, has been called in.
2: You know, I'm just talking to Governor Northam and what he said is they sent 200 of state police and a unit of the National Guard.
1: So this is Schiff talking about how Texts, emails suggest the Secret Service knew of the violence.
3: In our past hearings, you have seen direct evidence that President Trump sent a crowd of his supporters to the Capitol on January 6th, knowing they were armed and angry. This was the last, most desperate and dangerous prong of his plan to disrupt the joint session and prevent the orderly transition of power. On the morning of the 6th, the Secret Service was at the Ellipse, Screening the members of the crowd as they entered the rally site. And they noticed something significant about the crowd. Tens of thousands of people were outside the rally site, but did not want to go through the magnetometers, the metal detectors that were used to screen for dangerous weapons. Since our last hearings, the Select Committee has received greater cooperation from the Secret Service. Nevertheless, Secret Service text messages from this period were erased in the days and months following the attack on the Capitol, even though documents and materials related to January 6th had already been requested by the Department of Justice and Congress. But we were able to obtain nearly one million emails, recordings, and other electronic records from the Secret Service. Over the month of August, the Select Committee began its review of hundreds of thousands of pages and multiple hours of that material providing substantial new evidence about what happened on January 6th and the days leading up to it. That review continues. What you're about to hear is just a sample of the new and relevant evidence that we have received. Mounting evidence before January 6th predicted violence, and not just violence generally, but violence directed at the Capitol. Intelligence about this risk was directly available to the U.S. Secret Service and others in the White House in advance of the Ellipse speech, in advance of the march to the Capitol. The committee has shown evidence that President Trump was aware of the risk of violence. The FBI, U.S. Capitol Police, Metropolitan Police, and other agencies all gathered and disseminated intelligence suggesting the possibility of violence at the Capitol prior to the riot. We're now going to show you just a sample of the evidence we have received. Days before January 6th, the President's senior advisors at the Department of Justice and FBI, for example, received an intelligence summary that included material indicating that certain people traveling to Washington were making plans to attack the Capitol. This summary noted online calls to occupy federal buildings, rhetoric about invading the Capitol building and plans to arm themselves and to engage in political violence at the event. Other agencies were also hearing predictions suggesting possible violence at the Capitol. On a call with President Trump's White House national security staff in early January 2021, Deputy Secretary of Defense David Norquist had warned about the potential that the Capitol would be the target of the attack. Here's General Mark Milley, who is also present for this call, describing Deputy Secretary Norquist's warning.
0: So during these calls, I only remember it in hindsight because he was almost like clairvoyant. Um, Norquist says during one of these calls, the greatest threat is a direct assault on the Capitol. I'll never forget it.
3: This email, for example, was an alert that the Secret Service received on December 24th with the heading armed and ready, Mr. President. According to the intelligence, multiple users online were targeting members of Congress, instructing others to march into the chambers on January 6th and make sure they know who to fear. In this report received on December 26th, the Secret Service field office related tip that had been received by the FBI. According to the source of the tip, the Proud Boys plan to march armed into D.C. They think that they will have a large enough group to march into D.C. armed, the source reported, and will outnumber the police so they can't be stopped. The source went on to say their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate further. The source also made clear that the Proud Boys had detailed their plans on multiple websites, like the Donald.Win. Let's pause here. The Secret Service had advanced information more than 10 days beforehand regarding the Proud Boys' planning for January 6th. We know now, of course, that the Proud Boys and others did lead the assault on our Capitol building. On December 31st, Agents circulated intelligence reports that President Trump supporters have proposed a movement to occupy Capitol Hill. In particular, they flagged spikes in violent hashtags like we are the storm, 1776 rebel, and occupy capitals. On January 5th, a Secret Service open source unit flagged a social media account on the Donald.win that threatened to bring a sniper rifle to a rally on January 6th. The user also posted a picture of a handgun and rifle with the caption, Sunday Gun Day, providing Overwatch January 6th, will be wild. Later, on the evening of January 5th, the Secret Service learned during an FBI briefing that right-wing groups were establishing armed QRFs, or Quick Reaction Forces, readying to deploy for January 6th. Groups like the Oath Keepers were standing by at the ready should POTUS request assistance. By invoking the Insurrection Act, agents were informed. As we all know now, the Oath Keepers did play a specific role on January 6th, and had stashed weapons in Virginia for further violence that evening. Also on that day, the Secret Service was rating its security precautions for the President's speech at the Ellipse the next day. A Secret Service deputy chief instructed agents to add certain objects to the list of items that would be prohibited at the rally site, including ballistic vests, tactical vests, armored or not, and ballistic helmets. By the morning of January 6th, it was clear that the Secret Service anticipated violence. It felt like the calm before the storm, one agent predicted in a Protective Intelligence Division chat group. Another remarked how agents were watching the crazies on livestream. By 9.09 that morning, the Secret Service could also see that many rally-goers were assembled outside the security perimeter. One agent emailed, possibly because they have stuff that couldn't come through, would probably be an issue with this crowd. Just a thought. By 9.30 that morning, Agents reported more than 25,000 people outside the rally site. An hour later, the Secret Service reported that the crowd was on the mall watching, but not in line. The head of the president's Secret Service Protective Detail, Robert Engel, was specifically aware of the large crowds outside the magnetometers. He passed that information along to Tony Ornato who worked for Mark Meadows in the Chief of Staff's office. The documents we obtained from the Secret Service make clear that the crowd outside the magnetometers was armed and the agents knew it. Take a look at what they were seeing and hearing on the ground. One report from the rally site at 7.58 AM said, some members of the crowd are wearing ballistic helmets, body armor, carrying radio equipment, and military grade backpacks. Another, from 9.30 a.m., said that there were possibly O.C. spray, meaning pepper spray, and or plastic riot shields. At 11.23 a.m., agents also reported possible armed individuals, one with a Glock, one with a rifle. Over the next hour, agents reported possible man with a gun reported, confirmed pistol on hip located in a tree. And one detained at 14th and I Street Northwest individual had an assault rifle on his. It sure pl- doesn't get any better from here with the news. Minutes before President Trump began his speech, members of the Federal Protective Service, an agency tasked with protecting federal buildings, were alerted about an arrest of a protester with a gun on his waistband.
1: Yeah, Schiff is not the most enthralling speaker, and we are nine minutes into this, but it was kind of juicy. Let's go over the Roger Stone connection to January six because he's kind of the bridge between the paramilitary groups and the administration. Another
4: close associate of Donald Trump apparently knew of Mr. Trump's intentions as well. Now, Roger Stone is a political operative with a reputation for dirty tricks, In November 2019, he was convicted of lying to Congress and other crimes and sentenced to more than three years in prison. He's also a longtime advisor to President Trump and was in communication with President Trump throughout 2020. Mr. Trump pardoned Roger Stone on December 23rd, 2020. Now recently, the select committee got footage of Mr. Stone before and after uh, the election from Danish filmmaker Christopher Gilbranson, pursuant to a subpoena. Right before the election, here's Roger Stone talking about what President Trump would do after the election.
5: Let's just hope we're celebrating. (laughs) I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it will still be up in the air. When that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, we won, fuck you, sorry, over, we won. You're wrong, fuck you. ABC. I said, thank you, Lauren. Let's get right to the violence. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: he did a dry run of this in Florida in 2000.
0: Start sure smashing pumpkins if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah.
1: You're going to call
4: up Billy Corgan? The Select committee called Mr. Stone as a witness, but he invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self incrimination. Do you
6: believe the violence on January 6th was justified?
4: uh on the advice of counsel i respectfully re, uh, decline to answer your question on the basis of the fifth amendment
6: and, and mr stone did you have any role in planning for the violence on january 6th
4: uh, once again i will assert my fifth amendment right to decline to answer your question although we don't yet have all the relevant records of roger stone's communications even Stone's own social media posts acknowledge that he spoke with Donald Trump on December 27th as preparations for January 6th were underway. In this post, you can see how Roger Stone talked about his conversations with President Trump. He wrote, I also told the president exactly how he can appoint a special counsel with full subpoena power to ensure those who are attempting to steal the 2020 election through voter fraud, are charged and convicted.
1: Well, We know who attempted to steal the 2020 election. Let's make sure they're charged and convicted.
4: As we know by now, the idea for a special counsel was not just an idle suggestion. It was something President Trump had actually tried to do earlier that month. We know that Roger Stone was at the Willard Hotel on January 5th and 6th. And we know from other witness testimony that President Trump asked his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to speak with Roger Stone and General Michael Flynn that night. In addition to his connection to President Trump, Roger Stone maintained extensive direct connections to two groups responsible for violently attacking the Capitol, the Oath Keepers and the, the Proud Boys. Individuals from both of these organizations have been charged with a crime of seditious conspiracy. Now, what is seditious conspiracy? It is a conspiracy to use violent force against the United States to oppose the lawful authority of the United States. Multiple associates of Roger Stone from both the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys have been charged with this crime. Close associates of Roger Stone, including Joshua James, have pled guilty to this crime. We know that at least seven Oath Keepers who have been criminally charged provided personal security for Roger Stone or were seen with him on January 6th or in the weeks leading up to January 6th. For example, Joshua James, the leader of the Alabama Oath Keepers, provided security for Roger Stone and was with him on January 5th. This is uh, the picture of the two uh, together on January 5th. James entered the Capitol On January 6th... Roger's a short officer. man. Earlier this year, he pled guilty to seditious conspiracy and obstruction of Congress. Another example is the married couple, Kelly and Connie Meggs. Now, Kelly Meggs was the leader of the Florida chapter of the Oath Keepers. Both he and his wife provided security for Roger Stone, and both are charged with leading a military-style stack attack of Oath Keepers, attacking the Capitol on January 6th. Perhaps even more disturbing is Roger Stone's close association with Enrique Tarrio, the national chairman of the Proud Boys. Roger Stone's connection with Enrique Tarrio and the Proud Boys is well documented. By video evidence, with phone records the select committee has obtained, Tario, along with other Proud Boys, has been charged with multiple crimes concerning the attack on January 6th, including seditious conspiracy. During the attack, Tario sent a message to other Proud Boys claiming, We did that. He also visited the White House on December 12th. Later that day,
7: he posted oh, did he do
4: that video? a that video claiming credit for the attack. This video, posted on January 6th, was apparently created prior to the attack.
1: I mean, like, the committee didn't do that to his video, did they? That would be weird.
4: This big lie, President Trump's effort to convince Americans that he had won the 2020 election, began before the election results even came in. It was intentional, it was premeditated, it was not based on election results or any evidence of actual fraud affecting the results or any actual problems with voting machines. It was-
1: Now you heard Representative Zoe Lofgren uh, mention that Roger Stone took the fifth.
7: She's a young woman from Wyoming.
1: Liz Cheney ran down all of Trump's associates who had pled the fifth.
5: It was recognized on her resolution.
6: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, our committee now has sufficient information to answer many of the critical questions posed by Congress at the outset. We have sufficient information to consider criminal referrals for multiple individuals and to recommend a range of legislative proposals to guard against another January 6th. But a key task remains. We must seek the testimony under oath of January 6th Central Player. More than 30 witnesses in our investigation have invoked their Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, and several of those did so specifically in response to questions about their dealings with Donald Trump directly. Here are a few examples. This is Roger Stone with Oath Keepers at the Willard Hotel on the morning of January 6th. And here is Mr. Stone testifying before our committee. Did you speak to President Trump on his private cell phone on either January 5th or January 6th? Uh,
4: Once again, on advice of counsel, I will assert my Fifth Amendment right to respectfully decline to answer your question.
6: This is General Michael Flynn walking with Oath Keepers on December 12th, 2020. And here is General Flynn's testimony before our committee.
0: Did you, General Flynn, talk to President Trump at any point on January 6,
6: 2021? Here is John Eastman fraudulently instructing tens of thousands of angry protesters that the Vice President could change the election outcome on January 6th. Later on this same day, Dr. Eastman acknowledged in writing that Donald Trump knew what he was attempting, was illegal. Here is John Eastman testifying before our committee.
3: President Trump authorized you to discuss publicly your January 4th, 2021 conversation with him. Fifth. So is it your position that you can discuss in the media direct conversations you had with the President of the United States, but you will not discuss those same conversations with this
0: committee?
5: Fifth.
6: Here is Jeff Clark who conspired with Donald Trump to corrupt the Department of Justice. President Trump wanted to appoint Jeff Clark as acting attorney general. And as you can see in this call log we obtained from the National Archives, he did so. And here
1: is Mr. Clark testifying before our committee. At 420, he was speaking to Trump at 420.
3: Mr. Clark, when did you first talk directly with President Trump? Fifth. Uh, Mr. Clark, did you discuss with President Trump, allegations of fraud
0: in the 2020
6: election. Fifth. Other witnesses have also gone to enormous lengths to avoid testifying about their dealings with Donald Trump. Steve Bannon has been tried and convicted by a jury of his peers for contempt of Congress. He is scheduled to be sentenced for this crime later this month. Criminal proceedings regarding Peter Navarro continue. And Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's former chief of staff has refused to testify based upon executive privilege. The committee's litigation with him continues. Mr. Chairman, at some point, the Department of Justice may well unearth the facts that these and other witnesses are currently concealing. But our duty today is to our country and our children and our Constitution We are
1: obligated to seek
6: answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. And every American is entitled to those answers so we can act now to protect our republic. So this afternoon, I am offering this resolution that the committee direct the chairman to issue a subpoena for relevant documents and testimony under oath from Donald John Trump in connection with the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol.
1: Boom. So there you go. Recommendation for a subpoena of Donald Trump for his testimony in front of the committee. You know the shit libs over on MSNBC were having a field day with this, so let's go to see what uh, they had to say. They might come live on air.
8: MSNBC. Pre-
1: <laughs> pregnant Trump, that would be a... Uh, that would be a plot twist right there, coming out and showing that men can get pregnant to the, the far-right nut jobs,
8: can now report that the January 6th committee plans to vote to subpoena former President Donald Trump during today's hearing. Sources familiar with the committee's plans tell NBC News, with members wanting to put this historic move on the public record. Despite multiple members previously acknowledging how difficult or even unlikely it would be, for the former president to comply. And this subpoena... Oh, he will challenge it. ...with the current current Congress, uh, Katie. Uh, but this has been noticed to the Speaker of the House. Speaker Pelosi has been notified of it. Uh, it would not be unprecedented. Uh, we understand that, you know, from our former Justice Correspondent Pete Williams has written notes to this effect that Thomas Jefferson, Richard Nixon, and Bill Clinton were all subpoenaed by... Congress. Jefferson refused to comply on documents. Nixon won the tapes, resigned instead. Bill Clinton agreed to testify. So the subpoena was withdrawn. But Katie, this would be an extraordinary step. And there's been a lot of other testimony today that is just uh, compelling. We'll go through that in a moment.
9: It would be an extraordinary step in this moment. The question is, would Donald Trump want to take him up on that? Would he want that live audience, all those millions of people watching?
1: I kind of think he would. (laughs) I kind of think that Donald Trump is stupid enough to get up there and just incriminate himself all over the place. Talk about how unfair the election was to him. Go up there, tell all his lies in front of the committee. It would be fun to watch. It would be one of the most watched... Committee hearings, if not the most watched committee hearing
9: ever thing to see him push back directly on the committee. We know from reporting that he has been frustrated uh, by a lack of defense that he's seen in these committee hearings, which have got uh, millions upon millions upon millions uh, of viewers, tens of millions of viewers, a large, giant audience. Will Donald Trump want to turn away that opportunity? That is an open question. Um. We got a little bit of an indication that this was where this committee was going right at the outset of this committee hearing when Liz Cheney said, we can't just punish the foot soldiers. And they've been trying to paint this picture that Donald Trump was in the center of it. Donald Trump knew what was going to happen. He was a part of this. And then she said this. Let's listen.
6: Mr. Chairman, the violence and lawlessness of January 6th was unjustifiable. But our nation cannot only punish the foot soldiers who stormed our capital. Those who planned to overturn our election and brought us to the point of violence must also be accountable. With every effort to excuse or justify the conduct of the former president, we chip away at the foundation of our republic. Indefensible conduct is defended. Inexcusable conduct is excused. Without accountability, it all becomes normal and it will recur. So as we watch the evidence today, please consider where our nation is in its history. Consider whether we can survive for another 246 years. Most people in most places on Earth have not been free. America is an exception. And America continues only because we bind ourselves to our Founders' principles, to our Constitution. We recognize that some principles must be beyond politics, inviolate, and more important than any single American.
1: There was a campaign ad for Cheney by her father, Dick Cheney, where he's talking about Donald Trump and being a threat to democracy. I saw somebody tweet out that if you played that video for somebody in 2003, they would be incredibly confused as to what was going on who has ever
6: lived.
8: And with her making that point, that is the frame that they initially wanted to put on all of this, that Donald Trump broke all the rules, uh, had a premeditated plan, was told repeatedly by top officials that the election was over, had not been stolen. But I just want to point out, Katie, that it's one thing for him to say at a rally, as he just did the other day, that the election was stolen and you go through all of these false statements, he can't do that under oath to Congress. So testifying would be at risk of perjuring himself and creating a crime in full view. It, um, would, it would definitely put him in a,
9: in a more perilous position. Um, I'm certain, certain the committee... Oh, I would assume
1: there's not a lawyer alive. Maybe it may be a Lionel Hutz type of lawyer that would tell Trump to testify, but I would assume... Most credible lawyers would tell him it is a very, very bad idea to testify. However, it's Trump.
9: committee would want to have him come do exactly that as he has done in public. Um, but it is a tempting prospect, is my point, um, about Donald Trump. We'll see if any of his lawyers are successful, if he wanted to, in, in fighting back to say, no, this is not a good idea. Back with us.
1: See, uh, even she assumes that all of his lawyers would tell him it was a bad idea. Meanwhile, a judge has denied his request to pause a deposition
0: in the, I believe this is the E. Jean Carroll the case. The House Select Committee investigating January 6th is set to hold another hearing tomorrow, the first one since July, but there won't be any witnesses appearing in person. This hearing is supposed to feature new testimony and evidence. The committee is expecting to focus on former President Trump's continued efforts to claim that the 2020 election was stolen. We we already covered all this. You're bound to hammer home the idea that the former president remains a clear and present danger to democracy. Former President Trump will also not be getting Here out an upcoming deposition in a defamation lawsuit.
10: A federal judge denied Trump's request to pause the deposition, which is scheduled for a week from today. Columnist Eugene Carroll sued Trump in 2019 after he denied raping her in the mid-1990s and accused her of fabricating the claim to boost book sales. Trump has denied all allegations against him.
0: Well, the federal judge course, rejected the former president's attempt to pause the deposition, the judge saying that Trump's efforts to delay the case are, quote, inexcusable. Turned he, out,
1: he got out of testifying the last time because he stayed at mor a Lago during the hurricane. Hurricane Ian, I believe it was. Yeah. <laughs> stayed in mor a Lago through the hurricane. Said, oops, we can't come testify. So we got moved to a week from today. Apparently, Trump has formed a new company in a possible attempt to evade the New York State lawsuit. Days before the New York Attorney General filed a lawsuit accusing Donald J. Trump and his company of fraud and seeking to shut down some of their business in the state, Mr. Trump's lawyers created a new company in Delaware. Delaware, which has some of the loosest financial laws in the country. Partially as a result from one Mr. Uh, Joe Biden's lobbying on behalf of credit card and credit card companies in Wall Street. New company's name had a familiar ring to it, the Trump Organization, the same name as his old company, now threatened by the lawsuit. How do you start a new company with the same name? On September 21st, the day the suit was filed, the New Delaware Company filed paperwork in New York seeking to be recognized there as the Trump Organization 2. This is Trump Organization 2, Electric Boogaloo. Those maneuvers were detailed for the first time in a court filing on Thursday from the Attorney General, Letitia James, who raised the prospect that Mr. Trump was seeking to an end run around some of her lawsuit's harshest potential punishments by forming the new company. Her filing said the Trump Organization now appears to be taking steps to restructure its business to avoid existing responsibilities under New York law, raising concerns that the business might shift assets out of the state. Oh, Trumpy boy. Let's quickly move over to the UK, where uh, Trussy Girl is having a hard time. New British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, only been Prime Minister for, what, a little over a month now? Not looking too good that she's going to continue as Prime Minister. Truss is considering raising... Corporate tax rates, this was after she came to power promising
7: austerity in the UK, Uh, having to backtrack now. Going to blink first, I think we now know the answer. I think probably there is an argument to say that Governor Bailey was talking to the government when he said you've got three days to sort this out. You may have been talking to the market as well, but it certainly seems as if that threat has resonated in number 10, number 11, Downing Street. Um, The market is moving on rumours at the moment. As you say, we still don't know the details of exactly what is going to be reversed, which aspects of the unfunded tax policy uh, that we're going to be seeing changed. I I think the the, the Sun report is very, very interesting. John, the the market has been all over the place this morning. We've seen, we, we initially saw a big move lower in yields. And you do wonder whether or not that is predicated on the idea that we are seeing the Bank of England's policies and the help it's being provided having an effect. Or rumours have been swirling about a U-turn. Kitty Donaldson and the team confirming that now that there is a conversation happening about a U-turn and you've seen the market response off that. This is what the market was primed for. It was waiting for the government to blink. And it looks like we're getting close to the government blinking.
10: How much does the government have to blink because of Conservative pushback, a pushback from Liz Truss's own administration to say this is infeasible and could potentially undermine any potential growth in the UK for years to come?
7: I think it's coming from a number of different uh, areas. Clearly, within the Conservative Party, there is much annoyance about the way that this has been handled. Much annoyance. Um, horror authority has been diminished also for, uh, almost from the get-go, Lisa. Oh, you British um, people. Never stop being British. British. It's coming from uh, Conservative Party donors. It's coming from a whole host of sources at the moment. And the, the force of that is now clearly too much for the government to bear. Uh, and as a result of which, we are going to have yet another U-turn. I'm not even sure which way we're facing at the moment. Uh, I think we'll probably <laughs> maybe find out at the end of the day.
1: Doing the hokey pokey over in the UK with Liz Truss as the prime minister. I don't know how long she's going to make it. I think the conservatives may, uh, may yeet her. They may break down and just call a snap election. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, one of the things that Warlord explained to me was the fact that, you know, the party in charge is is in charge of calling a snap election. Why would the conservatives want to call an election if they are poised to lose and they have power? I believe an election must happen before 2025. Was that correct? Belarus declares counter-terrorist Oper- operation regime? What? Counterterrorist operation regime has been declared in Belarus and the country's army and special services ready to respond to any provocations from neighboring countries. According to Belarusian Foreign Minister Vladimir Makay, in Minsk yesterday, they officially accused Ukraine in preparation for attacking the territory of Belarus. What? This is very confusing. If I remember correctly, Belarus has a pro-Russian uh, regime currently. Correct, Warlord? Is that the dude that really likes the horses? <laughs> There's, yeah, there is one autocratic. Uh, uh, president of one of those satellite countries that really likes horses. And I think it's the president of Be- Belarus. Well, P- Putin likes horses as well. But I want to say the president of Belarus has like multiple, like show horses, like dressage horses or some shit. And I think I know this from John Oliver. I think John Oliver did a piece on it. Alright, this is the story that Warlord alerted me to, like right as we were coming on. Content warning. Apparently, it's just another day. Mass shooting USA. This time in North Carolina. Like, we have five dead in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shooting spree. gunman has opened fire in a neighborhood in Raleigh, North Carolina, killing at least five people and injuring several uh, several others, according to witnesses and local officials. The suspect was later taken into custody. The incident began just after 5 p.m. on Thursday when officers were called to an active shooter in the Neuse River Greenway in East Raleigh, about 130 miles northeast of Charlotte. This is reported seeing a white male, possibly a teenager, who was dressed in I. I bet he was white. Betty white who was dressed in camouflage and armed with a long barrel shotgun they took him alive oh the, ho- the horse guy is uh, Turkmenistan not immediately clear whether he knew any of his victims but shots were fired at multiple locations aerial footage showed a car riddled with bullets at one of the scenes well you know what we gotta do now See we can at least get a local news hit on this. Apparently a cop was among those killed. This is the local news hit. Oh, this
0: is the oh, live coverage. In about an hour from now. Um, um, but uh, what we know is the the... the update from the Raleigh Police Department just in the past few minutes is that the shooter is now in custody after that person was described as being contained uh, inside some sort of structure in Eastern Wake County. We're still trying to get some eyes on that. And uh, Joel Brown is in that neighborhood. He's in that neck of the woods, off Old mill Road, just west of 540, um, east from Headingham, east across the Neuse River from where all this started earlier today. So Joel... Neuse River, uh, I said it
1: correctly. Uh,
0: and, and one of our photojournalists are trying to get in there right now. Uh, so, where, where to get that name from? To better understand where that in gun... North Carolina. Uh, ...was contained and eventually detained, eventually taken into custody just a short time ago. The other remaining question is... Um, as it relates to the gunman, is where is that person headed now? It was described as uh, under police guard or potentially going to the jail, Way County Jail on Hammond Road. It's not clear where that person is headed yet, but we're we're working to sort that information out. And and I would, would assume that finding out who this person is.
10: Yeah, uh, the joy of, of living in a city like Raleigh is having a level one trauma center mm-hmm. uh, that that we can transport victims in crisis mm-hmm. to uh, at a moment's notice, and they're ready on hand um, with
1: the frontline workers. Yeah, rub it so, uh, in as a lot of rural areas tonight, have been deprived uh, of their level one trauma center. Um,
11: when to when cut they backs.
1: that they were transporting
10: victims to the hospital there, so.
0: And as we showed you with our crews on the scene at Wake Med through the evening, there was a large law enforcement presence there. The the, the Brotherhood in blue, the, the uh, men and women in uniform were coming together to comfort each other when word spread very quickly that uh, one Raleigh police officer ultimately uh, died as a result of gunshot wounds and another was shot. Uh, we saw so many people from so many agencies going there to WakeMed to be together, provide each other comfort. Uh, it's what members of the law enforcement community do whenever if the
1: suspect killed a cop. Kind of he is going and, to get uh, continued support the of basement tonight. of the jail treatment um, before we actually see. When we see his died, mugshot his face will be completely uh, black and blue. Uh, yes,
0: was that that person was taken to uh, WakeMed and every effort was made to save the person
1: yeah he, he so, may die under mysterious circumstances in the, the jail there, but this seems uh, pretty high profile so that this, might not uh, happen tragedy. yeah heavy hearts uh, at wake med as so well you get away with Jeez it though Price
10: has been in that uh, eagle trace neighborhood all evening uh, talking to people and, and telling us what she's seen it looks like the scene has cleared up just a bit there jamie so what can you tell us at this hour
11: yeah, these folks are still trying to get home. I uh, just spoke with one driver. He had been waiting at this point for an, about an hour, and that's from South Hall to where we are right now, which is, I believe this is Murphfield Murfer, Village Way, I'm sorry, at Eagle Trace Drive. So that's about a half a mile from where we were um, initially when all of this happened and it's also about another half a mile. It's
1: wild that it happened in a residential neighborhood. That doesn't fit the
11: kind of blocking everybody profile. any further um, at this point. So folks are just still trying to get home here. And I know we've been talking a, a, a lot of just about the heavy hearts here in the city of Raleigh tonight. And I've been watching these officers work throughout the evening, just going back and forth. And at one point when one of those officers, um, they were trying to get around this area where some of the cars were, so they were kind of stuck here where I could see them and it was for the first time I could really see the pain. Once again,
1: this is live from Raleigh, North Carolina. Right there, there are at least five at people dead, just including one cop who, who was apparently just off just duty.
11: in disbelief that all of this is happening, it is a lot to to process. We're talking five people killed tonight, one of those being a Raleigh police yes, Wendy, officer. Yes,
1: stay tuned. So we're actually totally going to hear from some of the jurors and the Parkland, a lot of
11: concern for people uh, in this community um, i met some folks who believe that the uh parkland shooter trial I should is say. their neighbor so uh, they were definitely concerned telling me they have a good relationship it's somebody they come in contact with on a daily basis so they are definitely uh, concerned clearly and rightfully so so we are still seeing those officers leave we're still seeing officers come through some with their flashing lights, others without. Um, so I, I would still consider this an active scene at this point with a number of law enforcement officers who continue to make their way up here on Eagle Trace Drive. So we're, we're, we're trying to see how, how long it's going to be for these folks to get back home. I just seen one lady pass us here with some food because people can't get to their homes.
1: Going to be passing out some pizza. Need
11: to, to get to their kids. They need to get home. They've worked all day. And now they've been in the car for hours. So, again, the last person I just spoke with, he had been uh, waiting at this point just to get a half a mile uh, for about an hour. So, uh, Steve and Lauren, yeah, a, a lot of people just a little bit antsy at this point, ready to just get home.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's been an evening
1: of... Um... So that gives you an idea of what is going on in north carolina let's go to connecticut where apparently last night cops were ambushed two connecticut officers dead one was hurt in an apparent ambush
9: turn now Here's a local a news developing hit
10: developing story out of connecticut where police say two officers have died and another is hurt in what's believed to be an ambush style shooting. The one who survived is hospitalized in critical condition. ABC's Rena Roy has the latest.
12: A somber procession in Bristol, Connecticut Thursday, dozens of heartbroken officers saluting their fallen colleagues.
3: Our hearts are broken.
1: We're united in immeasurable. It's kind of cold in here. I can't think of sure officers for their families, and friends and for all of our law enforcement
5: personnel.
12: Police say Sergeant Dustin DeMonte and Officer Alex Hamsey were killed Wednesday night in an apparent ambush attack.
5: Sadly, we lost two exceptional
0: Bristol police officers and a third was seriously injured as a result of senseless violence.
12: The third officer, Alex Iarato, released from the hospital Thursday morning after undergoing surgery for a severe gunshot wound. Police sources tell ABC News the incident...
1: I mean, if I had to guess, it could have been another cop that uh, had pulled some shady shit. Uh, trying, trying to protect their ass, or a, a cop that was trying to expose corruption on the force and got retaliated against, or it could just—it could have been random, and it wasn't even like uh, the, the cops were ambushed.
12: It may have started when officers responded to a disorderly patron at a bar and issued a summons. Authorities say the suspect, identified as Nicholas Brutcher, then went home, armed himself with an AR-15-style rifle, and made a fake 911 call for a domestic disturbance in a potentially deliberate attempt to lure officers there.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's what happened. Dude was drunk at a bar and a cop uh, accosted him and he went home and uh, decided to get into some trouble. Wow.
12: Wow. Patron at a bar and issued a summons. Authorities say the suspect, identified as Nicholas Brutcher, then went home, armed himself with an AR-15 style rifle and made a fake 911 call for a domestic disturbance in a potentially deliberate attempt to lure officers there. When officers arrived, they were immediately met with a suspect, shots were fired. The suspect shot and killed his brother who was there was also shot. Sergeant DeMonte had a wife, two kids and a third on the way. Officer Hamzy is survived by his wife. This tragedy unfolding just hours after three SWAT officers were hurt in Philadelphia after gunfire erupted while they were executing a search warrant. The suspect who fired at officers through a door and a window, according to police, was shot dead. In late September, FBI data showed 49 police officers had been killed so far this year, but that number has already gone up with Wednesday's shooting in Connecticut
1: only 49 it's one of the safest jobs you can have being a delivery driver much less safe less uh, safe is it i don't know i'm really tired <laughs> much more dangerous that's what that's what it is plenty alluded to earlier the jurors in the parkland shooting uh, penalty phase of the trial the parkland shooter pled guilty to 26 counts of murder. So the trial was all about whether he would get life in prison or the death penalty. The jurors sided with the defense, gave him life. We're the going to hear from the, the jury. jury. Local
0: I'm is live with more on this. Leanne.
10: And Louie, it's been a team effort to try and speak to jurors who had a hand in this final decision. Some have opted not to speak out publicly, but we have spoken to a few, including the one juror who did request to see that gun, the gun at the center of all of this, as well as the jury foreperson who spoke publicly and identified himself. Was it just a gun nut? Juror number three is a probation officer and once worked as a paralegal executive assistant. He told me he was once in the military.
5: I voted for the death penalty. We did go back there and try and hash things out. And there was one juror that was just very set in in what she believed and that was the life.
10: He also told me he was the one who requested to have the shooter's rifle brought to the jury room.
5: I was in the military. I am very well versed in an M4 and a rifle. So I wanted to help elaborate the features that the defendant put on you weapon. just
1: wanted to see the uh, fucking gun. Instance, it made your hard.
5: For instance, the bipod and, and as well as the foregrip. Um,
1: what did those things tell you? You're getting me? a chubby right now. Um, We're looking right at his crotch.
5: While you're implement, implementing those onto the weapon, um, you have to be thinking about something, whether that is bad or um, good. And so I wanted to show the jury that it is uh, not um, extremely difficult to put those on, but um, it is something that you need um Mental capacity to put those on.
10: Juror number eight is a gun owner who works in human resources and once worked as an X-ray tech. Anxious, nervous. Are you
13: happy that it's over?
11: Very happy that it's
10: over. The, the jury foreman
13: is
11: juror
10: number one Benjamin Thomas, a gun owner who works in IT. His brother is in law enforcement and his mother is a mental health counselor.
3: I didn't vote that way, so I'm not happy with how it how it worked out. But everybody has the right to decide for themselves. It is a moral decision on their own.
1: It sounds from the the jurors' comments that it was one person, and only one person, that voted for life. Cruz's life was spared because of one juror. The rest of them seemingly voted for the death penalty.
10: and you heard there both juror number 3 as well as that four person both mentioned publicly that there was one holdout that really was not prepared to vote for the death penalty. It seems that the majority of the voters, uh, of the jurors, I should say, were ready to go for death, to recommend that death penalty, uh, except for one of them. So uh, we can also tell you that I did speak to an alternate juror who was dismissed. She was not part of deliberations. But she spoke to me a little bit about where her head was at. She told me that while she didn't really want to elaborate on what she was ready to vote for, what she was ready uh, to select, she did point the finger at the system that she believes failed Nicholas Cruz, whether it was law enforcement, the school district, uh, various entities that she said could have stopped this from getting... Uh, to the ultimate deadly conclusion that it came to. Uh, and she also said that she really was not surprised to hear what the ultimate verdict was, but says that at the point where she was dismissed, she had not discussed uh, her thinking with any other jurors as per the judge's request. Reporting live in Deerfield Beach, Leanne Morejon will News.
1: I can say as a matter of principle that I am very much against the death penalty. Uh, as I've elaborated with this case, it's one of those cut-and-dry cases where I'm like, you could convince me on this one. However, if you are looking for something punitive, I would say the death penalty is the easy way out. And that life in prison would be far more torturous. If if you are looking strictly at a... At a from a punitive sense I don't think the state should have the power to kill someone I'm pretty consistent with that I I believe a cop's job is to die if necessary to bring a suspect in that is the way I interpret the constitution I don't think the state has the power to just kill people in the streets unnecessarily so I don't know it's a tough call it's a tough call I do know that if 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 any of you are out there contemplating doing a school shooting don't remember kids shoot up drugs not schools that's my advice for the children's But hey, hey, some parents aren't upset about the sickening school shootings happening all over the country. They're more upset about drag queens. So parents protesting the Encinitas Union School District for distrib- distributing Queer Fest drag show flyer
9: group of Encinitas
10: parents are demanding answers from the Encinitas Unified School District after the district distributed a flyer promoting a boo bash. It's called the queerest
5: boo Family bash.
10: Friendly Drag Show. And joining me now to talk more about Tuesday's upcoming rally is a concerned mother and community activist, Carrie Prejan Bowler. Good morning. It's what an honor. honor to meet you.
1: Nice. I assure you she's being paid by some far right organization that probably wants to promote school choice or vouchers. What I really wanted to show you was this. I didn't know this was going to be an interview. I thought it was going to be a local news hit. What I'm going to show you is this uh, outraged parent at a board meeting.
13: I just want to know what it is uh, that makes a drag show family friendly because
1: That being in drag is not inherently sexual, ma'am. That they are fully clothed. They're not doing any kind of provocative dancing. It's just a man in a costume dancing.
13: If you follow it to its logical conclusion, you can slap family-friendly titles on anything. You can have family-friendly gentlemen's clubs, family-friendly strip shows, family-friendly Fifty Shades of Grey read-alouds. Will you approve my flyer? Hey
1: Leo, good evening.
13: All the sex secrets of the Kama Sutra for kids and families, if... It's family friendly. That's my question. Uh, What is it about a grown man? And I honestly, sincerely as a woman mean this. What is it about a grown man costumed in a sparkly bra with augmented boobs busting out a leather miniskirt barely covering his twerking ass with tuck tape on his front while spreading his fish netted leg?
1: Yeah, I just want to point out that what she is doing is committing a logical fallacy. Committing a logical fallacy while saying, if you go to its logical conclusion.
13: As he writhes on the ground, grinding his groin next to a minor,
1: Mm, family
13: friendly. You owe us an answer. And you know, you don't get to hide by just taking something down off Peach Tree and calling it a day. You owe an explanation and an apology.
1: She just said you all got caught with your skirt and panties down.
7: You live in sexual anarchy?
1: Now you guys know I encourage people to kick authority in the balls.
12: He's kicking authority in the balls.
1: This is not kicking authority in the balls. This is just this is just blatant trans uh, homophobia, dragphobia, any kind of anything that is is against the gender binary. Is scary to these people, and they are allergic to it.
13: Culture that has a massive problem with child porn, with sex trafficking. You, a little school district board of adults, made the decision to feature an event to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's groomer.
1: You all, of course, you would say groomer,
13: pimp for an aligned surgical.
1: Next time, next next thing she's going to say is like just go look at libs of TikTok and you will see all kinds of evidence.
13: to hypersexualize young children. Do you want to know that the word that defines that? It's groomer. You all played the activist pimp for in a line surgical center and for a 21 plus gay bar. It makes you groomers and activist pimps and we won't have those sitting on a school board who oversees the education of our children. You all stepped out of line. You should be ashamed. There's nothing loving. There's nothing. Let's unite and include because the logical conclusion of that is you end up in diabolical evil.
1: There In diabolical evil, guys. We're going to end up in diabolical evil. We need to repent our sins right now. Activist pimps. The weird thing is, is she's an activist. I tried to find her ties to organizations that are probably paying her to go and say this shit. I couldn't, but I did find that she also spearheaded an anti vaxxer movement. She was quite quite active in the freedom revival. Uh, an event uh, that took place to oppose mandates. So this is Brittany Meyer. I had a hard time finding her name on all the right-wing propaganda that was that was circulating around. But her name is Brittany Meyer, and she is involved in a lot of far-right kooky bullshit. As a conservative, it's getting harder and harder to not look like a kook. So I wish people wouldn't take these idiots seriously. I'm so tired of it. I gotta go get you an animal video. Hold on. I didn't have one handy. This little dude's eating some ham or some bacon. (laughs) Shedding tears of joy. Eating bacon. (laughs) Little dude is so happy.
7: You live in sexual anarchy?
1: Not the kitty. For those of you listening to the podcast, the kitty did not request the sexual anarchy. The chat did. buddy is he so happy alright tomorrow night is Friday usually the Troll Patrol is not on but we will be on tomorrow night it is a very special night we get the Georgia Senate debate between Herschel Walker and Raphael Warnock I do believe that's at 7 o'clock check the time on YouTube and make sure but I'm almost positive at 7 o'clock then we will be back at 10 o'clock for the Friday Night Freak Show with special guest co-host Igloo. Igloo coming on as special guest co-host tomorrow night. I 8-bitted one of my uh my cartoon pictures of me. Igloos. I wish I kind of now that I think about it I wish I I'd got like a little penguin 8-bit like that and put like a Fu Manchu on it. That cat is so... Maynard loves ham. That cat loves fucking ham. Apparently Socks likes chicken. Maynard loves fucking ham. Alright, if you're watching on Twitch, let's find out who we are going to raid. I don't think it's time for Plex yet, but do show back up for Plex. They got satanic pain, uh, the Satanic panic, I mean, you just saw a little bit of the satanic panic at that uh, board meeting. This is like my fourth or fifth, fourth or fifth satanic panic in my lifetime. We're going to go say hey to soup for my bread line. I will see you guys tomorrow night for Herschel Walker, Raphael Warnock debate, and then the Friday Night Freak Show with Igloo. Go ahead, light one up, tip one back. It's alright to have a little fun before you hit the sack. I'm Justin Freakin. We'll see you tomorrow night on the Troll Patrol Live.